Hi, this is Niao Niao. Welcome to the second season of Old Wisdom, New Insights. In this podcast series, we'll take you to meet some inspiring Chinese figures whose wisdom and thoughts have been and still are guiding us along the way. Humans are competitive. We like to win. It is easy to remember the champion in a competition, the first place in a race, and the winner in a game. But life is fuller than that. Realizing a grand goal often requires much more than the effort of one person. In fact, it often requires the efforts across several generations. It is not just about ambition and hard work. Sometimes it can be more about timing. The character in our spotlight today was not one who lived to see the final success, but without him, China might not have become what it is today. In this episode, we'll hear a story about one of the most important figures from the late 19th century in China, someone who spent his entire life searching and exploring for a better path, a better system for the country. His name is Liang Qichao. 梁任公他学跨中西。Mr. Liang was excellent in both Chinese and Western studies. He was open and inclusive, and was good at understanding the world with a Chinese perspective. He is very, very concerned about our country and our country's students. They are the future of our country. He was very serious about his studies, yet was also adorable as a person. In one of his academic speeches, a quite serious one, he used expressions like LOL, which I found quite lighthearted and funny. If you type Liang Qichao into your search engine, nine out of ten sites you find will tell you that he was a famous Chinese social and political activist, journalist, and intellectual from the late 19th century in China. As always, in order to have a fuller and more vivid picture of our leading character, let's go back in time and pay a visit to his childhood. Liang Qichao was born in 1873 in a village of farmers and fishermen in South China's Guangdong Province. Coming from a relatively wealthy family of local gentry, he quickly emerged as a prodigy. Passing the local imperial examinations at 11 and the provincial level ones at 16, in the autumn of 1890, when he was 17, Liang Qichao met his most important teacher, Kang Youwei. Only then he didn't know their paths would be so intertwined for so many years to come. Kang Youwei was 32 years old at that time, but he had not even passed his provincial level exams yet. It was like a college graduate referring to a middle schooler as his teacher. If Liang Qichao was anything close to an orthodox scholar valuing the academic title granted by the government highly, this master-pupil relationship would not have been established. Luckily, Liang Qichao was a brave young man who did not follow the secular standards. He understood Kang's mighty visions as a reformist thinker. Kang Youwei reinterpreted the traditional Confucian thoughts, and his ideas on carrying out social reforms and changes were mind-blowing. That was when Liang Qichao became convinced that they could find the way to save the crumbling society. 
So, upon knowing that the emperor wanted to carry out reforms and wanted their help, they didn't hesitate at all. In my middle school history classes, I learned about Wu Xu Bian Fa, reform of the Wu Xu year. A major historical event happened in China in 1898. Ooh, who's talking about Wu Xu reform? That was tough memory for me. Mr. Liang Qichao, hello! Great to have you join the show, and I'm sorry for bringing it up. You see, China went through many defeats in wars around the 19th century. The two Opium Wars and the Sino-French War, but the first Sino-Japanese War hit us really hard. That was the moment that people started to realize that technological modernization alone was not enough. Buying modern weapons, ships, and building modern arsenals were not enough. Only blood and muscles were not enough to save the country. We need profound institutional changes. What happened then? Did the government of Qing Dynasty change its approach? Yes, the young emperor Guangxu ordered a series of reforms aimed at making sweeping social and institutional changes. We tried our best. I was really convinced we could make a difference. Yet the reform lasted for only 103 days, winding up with the name "Hundred Days Reforms." It ended with nothing. It was worth trying. You inspired the country to think about casting aside its millennium-old traditions to make room for new ways of thinking. Starting with you, people weren't satisfied to just graft Western models onto a Chinese core. They started to believe in the possibility of a complete fresh start. It was the start of everything. Oh, thank you. Had it succeeded, China could have perhaps, like Meiji Japan, entered the modern era without revolutions. Yet, however determined and daring we were, it was not the right cure for China. A lot of us were executed or imprisoned, and even the emperor was under permanent house arrest by his mighty mother. As for me, I fled to Japan, striving to realize not only my dream. But the goals of my fellow patriots, who have sacrificed their lives for the nation's future. You did not retire from politics in Japan at all. You found another path. Can I say you switched your focus from persuading the ruling class to influencing the Chinese intellectuals? Um, more or less, yes. I think I was always convinced that a dynamic popular press was a key to national strength. So in Japan. I decided to promote my views on Chinese reform by running my own journals. I actually learned that you are considered the father of modern Chinese journalism. Many people in my time say you were a master of language, a born editor, and op-ed writer, someone who helped invent modern Chinese journalism. Oh, I'm totally flattered, but I do believe in the power of press. You were also brilliant at creating elegant, pithy, and catchy phrases, most of which are still used today. For instance, you created the word "Zhonghua Minzu," the Chinese nation, around this period, right? Oh, indeed, and I'm glad you're still using that. I wish the best for the Chinese nation. And to realize my wish requires the collective effort from us all. It was also during your stay in Japan you published the article "Shao Nian Zhongguo Shuo: The Young China." 
Yes, it is my article. Did you read that? Sure, it was one of your most celebrated articles, and quite frankly, my favorite as well. Its influence lingered on for decades, all the way to now. You know what? The article has been included in the textbook of young Chinese students for many years. Oh, I'm truly glad people enjoyed it. The spirit of the youth was what we lacked and desperately needed. Our country should not be lethargic or pathetic like an old man. It should be like a young person, brimming with vigor and vitality. On the one hand, I was really disappointed at the then ruling class, so stubborn and narrow-minded. On the other hand, I have such great expectations of the younger generation. The youth are the holders of the future. These are the words from my heart. 故今日之责任，不在他人，而全在我少年。少年智则国智，少年富则国富。少年强则国强，少年独立则国独立。独立少年自由则国自由。If the young are free, the nation becomes free. If the young progress, the nation will progress. 美哉，我少年中国 ！Glory to our young China. Just like the universe, it will never wither. Glory to our youth of China. Along with the nation, they will bloom forever. Glory to our youth of China! Along with the nation, they will bloom forever. What a beautiful and impassioned article by Mr. Liang Qichao! In fact, Chinese people are so familiar with this article that they are still quoting this passage quite often today. For example, in 2018, when there were talks about building a China-Africa community with a shared future, Chinese President Xi Jinping cited a line from the article. 红日初升，其道大光。The red rising sun will light up the road ahead. Let's take a closer look at the sentence word by word. 红日初升，红红色 means the color red. 日 means the sun. 初 carries the meaning of junior or early. Here we can translate it as just. 升 means rise. 红日初升 ，the red sun is just rising. 旗 here means this. 道道路 road. 大 here means very much, and 光 means bright. 旗道大光 ，the road ahead will be much bright. Together, the sentence "Hong Ri Chu Sheng Qi Dao Da Guang" means the red sun rises and lights up the road ahead. It depicts the splendor of the sunrise, symbolizing that with effort from the younger generations, a great cause will definitely have a bright future. President Xi cited this saying to illustrate that the baton of China-Africa friendship will be passed from one generation to the next, and that China and Africa, working together, will build an even more vibrant community with shared future. The day will surely come when the Chinese nation realizes its dream of national rejuvenation, and Africa realizes its dream of unity and invigoration. Of course, Liang Qichao's legacy is more than this article. Join me in the next episode for more insights from the great master.
If you like the show, be sure to subscribe via wherever you tune in. If you have any questions or feedback, please get in touch via email at podcast at cri.com.cn or you can interact with me directly on my Facebook page, Niu Niu Chinese. That's N-I-U-N-I-U Chinese. Thanks for your company. See you next time on Old Wisdom, New Insight.